You're listening to the Earn That Body Podcast, episode number 329. Welcome to the Earn That Body Show with Kim Eagle. Kim is an award-winning personal trainer. She trains her clients all over the world online and is passionate about empowering people by getting fit and healthy. Hopefully you listened to last week's podcast episode. Last week we had volume one of the menopause conversation. We talked a lot about the symptoms, things that you can do to alleviate, and just really having a general understanding about menopause. Today we are going to do volume two to review a few things and cover a different topic related to menopause that is probably one of the more unfortunate side effects, and it's not hot flashes, just so you know. So we're gonna talk about that, and I just wanna say that the meal plan challenge just finished, and it was such a hit. I was so loving watching everybody create all of these home-cooked meals. And I spread the challenge out over a three-week period so that it wouldn't be so overwhelming to have a one-week meal plan. And so we did a few different meals every single week. It spaced it out, and that way, when it came to the final week, you had a complete one-week meal plan, and you've already cooked those things before, so it wasn't overwhelming. And I feel like people had the most success they've ever had using a meal plan because I don't know about you but I get very overwhelmed when I get a meal plan because it's just it's too much it's like the shopping list is huge and the meals I have to make one three times a day and everything's new so anyway the 21 day meal plan challenge definitely worked it helped so many people I got a lot of emails in fact about weight loss and that they couldn't believe they lost so much weight just by following a meal plan and not even logging a calorie now if you want to do the meal plan challenge you can now register and you can start on any Monday. It does have to start on a Monday and I recommend you register about five days before a Monday so you have time to go through the prep information and get everything you need so that you can really hit the road running on a Monday. Just go to the earnthatbody.com website, earnthatbody.com, and there is a meal plan challenge button right on the front of the page. Go there, get registered, get fit, get healthy before your holidays hit. All right, we're gonna talk about menopause after this. And now, it's time for the Eagle's Eye on Health. These are Kim's quick tips, latest health news, or piece of weekly inspiration. In today's Eagle Eye on Health, coming to you from On Health Consumer Report, they had a very quick little article that caught my eye. It talked about anti-aging, something we are all sort of experiencing, a little bit of aging, hence the topic of the day, menopause. It says that anti-aging foods, uh, we need to eat, uh, oh, I'm sorry, it's blah, tongue-tied, tongue-twisted, <laughs> anti-aging foods to eat more of, that is the title of the article, people who ate the most carotenoids found in brightly colored fruits and vegetables were 16% less likely to become frail compared with those who ate less in a recent study. Frailty, which is age-related weakening, increases the risks of falls, fractures, hospital stays, and earlier death. The study participants filled out diet questionnaires, answered questions about frailty signs like unintended weight loss and exhaustion, and had their strength and walking speeds measured. 
Carotenoids are antioxidant compounds that may help by reducing inflammation and protecting cells from damage that contributes to muscle strength loss, according to the researchers. So something that I tell people often is you want to eat a lot of brightly colored foods. Hence, I always say eat the rainbow, right? In your day, when you are looking for your five servings of vegetables and two fruits, try to eat every single color you can because these brightly hued Fruits and vegetables are full of carotenoids and they are a benefit as you age. So think of things like bright things like red bell peppers, even the purple in an eggplant. Green is an easy one. I mean, broccoli, green bell pepper, grapes, parsley, all of that would qualify bright orange carrots, yellow bell peppers. I mean, you can get a bell pepper in every color, which I actually eat a bell pepper a day, and I love shifting colors every day. Um, But those are the kind of things that you wanna be looking at the next time you go to the market when you're shopping. Make sure that that shopping cart is full of bright colors in terms of your vegetables and your fruit, not in terms of processed foods full of fake color. <laughs> All right, that those ones don't qualify. All right, so we are going to talk about menopause. This is part two. If you didn't hear part one, I definitely think you should go back, listen to that, and then come back because we're sort of on the part two. But I do want to do a very quick review in terms of what menopause is because I was just having this conversation with a client the other day and I think that there is a little bit of confusion about when you are in fact in menopause. So when a woman permanently stops having menstrual periods, she has reached the stage of life called menopause. But technically you are not in full-blown menopause until you haven't had a period for 12 months. So if you had a period 40 days ago, you're still in that perimenopausal time. And that can last for years. Like you may have some irregularity in your cycle for many years, and then it could go back to normal for a while and then get not normal again. So it can really shift all the time. So I think it's really important that people understand that because sometimes they think, okay, it's been 40 days, I'm in menopause. Probably not if you've only gone 40 days and I mean, it just depends on your age, you're very likely you could still get another period and it's just gonna be sort of hit or miss for a while, which is a real bummer. I just wanna let you know. (laughs) because I have been experiencing this in the last year, Um, definitely full-blown perimenopause, where I would get my period, and then I wouldn't get it for like 30 days, and then I wouldn't get it for 35 days, and then 40. I just looked, and I've gone 70 plus days now without a period. So we're getting there, team. It's happening, right? And that is just a normal function of aging for women. And I think that that is one of the really important things that I tried to preface last week. This is a very normal stage of life. It is a transition phase for women. It is not a bad thing. It is not a good thing. Don't put so much negativity on this stage of life because I think that that 
is just something that has happened in our society is that we see menopause as a very negative thing. We don't want to hit it. We don't want to have hot flashes. I mean, no, I don't want to have hot flashes. I actually, I still don't have hot flashes, but um, not everybody gets them. But it's not that I want menopause to happen, but I don't want to fight menopause. It is a natural part of our life. So I feel like when we have this real negative stance to it and this anxiety about it, it makes that phase so much worse for you. Let's just embrace it as part of aging. It's just part of aging. You might not like it, but it's part of aging. You really can't fight it. And there are definitely ways that you can handle it better. So again, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, I highly recommend you do because I talk about a lot of things that start happening in perimenopause and the symptoms and some natural things that you can do to to change that, to make it a little better and a little easier. Now, a lot of the information coming today is from John Hopkins Medicine, also Time Magazine, because one of the topics we want to talk about today came from Time Magazine, and it's the fact that menopause has a very dramatic impact on cholesterol. And so we're going to talk about that right now because I feel like it's something that isn't talked about and is probably a lot more important than hot flashes. Now, obviously, hot flashes are uncomfortable. You feel it, and and so that's a bad thing. And high cholesterol, you don't really feel it, so you're not talking about it, but it could kill you. So I sort of feel like this should be talked about a lot more. And I, for one, didn't realize that there was such an impact with cholesterol and going through menopause. So in Time Magazine, they did an article. Uh, This woman, Kelly, was 49 years old. She was a vegan eater, so she had a vegan diet. She didn't really eat processed foods. And after a routine blood test, she realized that she had high cholesterol. And she was shocked. She was upset. No one's ever happy to see that they have high cholesterol. But it's even harder when you're a vegan and you don't eat processed food because you're thinking, well, that's the last thing that you would have to worry about. Now, this woman is just simply not alone because as women enter menopause, Sadly, cholesterol levels jump by an average of 10 to 15%. That's a lot, which is such a bummer, especially for those of us who already have high cholesterol. Now, this change often goes unnoticed, as I said, because we don't really have physical symptoms. But The doctors at John Hopkins Medicine are trying to sort of light a fire and say, look, women, we need to get screened. We need to know these numbers. High cholesterol is a leading risk factor for heart disease and kills more women in the United States than any other cause, including all forms of cancer combined. And the longer someone lives with high cholesterol, the greater those odds that it will build up in their arteries and cause a heart attack or stroke. Many factors around midlife conspire to push the cholesterol levels up. Let's face it, a sedentary lifestyle could do that. A less healthful diet could do that. Gaining weight will often do that as well. But the one that is definitely standing out and a clear driver in sort of this shift of sudden high cholesterol is this unavoidable drop in estrogen that happens when we hit 
menopause. Unlike other issues that begin in perimenopause, including those mood changes and hot flashes and fatigue, the rise in cholesterol tends to happen fairly suddenly, typically in the year before through the year after menopause. Now, researchers are learning more about how and why this change happens, how to better screen for it, and the best treatments for women. But the first step is basically acknowledging it and to also remember that it is a normal transition and an essential time that you start making sure that you are getting your blood work done. You should be checking. You should know if your cholesterol was high before so that you can see if it has shifted after. Before women go through menopause, which is typically around 51 years old in the United States, which is funny because I literally just turned 51, so I am spot on textbook. They tend to have healthier cholesterol profiles and lower rates of cardiovascular disease than most men, male counterparts. But with the onset of menopause, what's happening is that advantage actually drops off because by the time people reach their 60s and even their 70s, the rates of cardiovascular disease are almost even between sexes with women surpassing men in the risk by their 80s. And women who go through menopause early are at an even higher risk sooner because it just means that they drop that estrogen a lot sooner in their life, in their early years, and so they weren't getting that sort of protection. Because estrogen's protective effect on cholesterol is apparent even before menopause. As the cholesterol levels rise and fall slightly with estrogen level fluctuations throughout each menstrual cycle, it's very apparent and they can see that. Researchers are still sort of testing out and trying to figure out the details about how estrogen influences cholesterol, but much of it can be traced back to the liver where estrogen receptors help to dictate a person's lipid profile. Now, one thing that really bothered me when I read this article. First of all, you should know, I have high cholesterol. Apparently it's genetic. My LDL has always been on the high side. My HDL, which is your good cholesterol, is HDL. Your LDL is what they call your bad cholesterol. My HDL has always been off the charts high, so no doctor has ever been concerned about me having high cholesterol. I've even gone so far. Jillian Michaels had a doctor, a, cardio, a cardiologist on her show, and he was talking all about cholesterol. And this is a topic I listen to all the time because I have high cholesterol and it absolutely kills me because I eat so healthy. Um, anyway, he was going on and on. And at the end, she said, oh, if you want to talk to him, you can reach him on Twitter, blah, blah, blah. So I thought, hit or miss, I'm just going to reach out to this doctor and see what he thinks about my high cholesterol. I'm sure I'll never hear from him. I unfortunately can't remember his name right now. But I did do a Twitter message. And within 24 hours, he responded. And I was, I was shocked. And maybe it was an associate, which is totally fine, because the person asked a few questions. And I basically said, like, I'm fit. I work out this many times a week. I eat super healthy, all these things. And the doctor said, you have nothing to worry about. You do not have any high risk factors that would make me concerned about your LDL. Your HDL is super high. And again, because you don't have other high risk factors, it's not anything you need to lose sleep over. You don't need to do anything. You're great. I was so happy, obviously, to hear that. 
But when I was doing more and more research uh, for this podcast episode, the one thing that I didn't know is that your cholesterol, when it is in general, your cholesterol is actually impacted by your estrogen levels. Well, if you think about that, your estrogen goes up and down every single month, like not even talking about menopause situation, but just talking about your general cycle that a woman has, right? So I read that it's more likely cholesterol levels will be elevated in women before ovulation, which could have a particular impact on women whose cholesterol levels are already high, which means when I go get tested, I should always be taking into account, and you should, where you are in your cycle. And so my last cholesterol reading was a few months ago. I looked and I was like, oh, I want to see where was I in my cycle because it was my highest cholesterol reading yet, which again, really upset me. And I looked back and I put all the numbers together and wouldn't you believe that I was tested right before I ovulated, which means that would be the highest time of cholesterol for me. And that's not the best time to get checked. And if we're then comparing that to the year before, say when I wasn't about to ovulate, it's not going to be a direct comparison. And so I really feel like it should be taken into account. And a doctor should say, like, I want you to get tested. I want you to do your blood work on X date, which maybe should be like, a few days after you get your period versus doing it mid-cycle. So something to think about if you have high cholesterol and you're looking back and comparing it from year to year, if we're comparing it from year to year at every different spot in our cycle, well, it's obviously going to fluctuate. So just something to take note of. All right, so the only way to determine your cholesterol levels, just so you know, especially around menopause, is to test for them. But predicting the timing is difficult, as I said, and menopause is usually only apparent once it's over, right? And a person no longer has a period for a full year. Now, current recommendations suggest that most people at low risk for cardiovascular disease have their cholesterol checked every five years. They recommend that starting at age 20. Even children and adolescents should have a baseline cholesterol screening. It's really good to have that baseline number. Experts advise additional testing if there's a family history of high cholesterol or there has been a substantial health change such as abdominal weight gain, periods of high stress, or even, as we said, menopause. Now, I personally get my blood tested every single year. I go to the doctor every single year for a full physical, and I highly encourage all of you to do that at every age, I would say for sure, starting at 30. Go every year, make sure everything's okay, have your blood work done. Generally, in that kind of blood work, you're gonna have your cholesterol tested. The sooner you know, the better. Because if it is super high, there are things that you can do naturally before you have to resort to any kind of medications, all right? Regular tests are so important because heart disease risk goes up the longer you have high cholesterol that goes untreated. All right, everyone? So that is so important to take into account. Now, I also want to mention that not all women who go through menopause are going to develop high cholesterol. 
If someone's baseline cholesterol was healthy, and if their other risk factors for heart disease are super low, like I was saying, my other risks are super low, an average rise in cholesterol levels is usually not going to be some type of concern. So if you are a woman with generally low to normal cholesterol, you're your cholesterol might go up a little bit when you hit menopause, but not necessarily to a concerning amount at all. So just that's what I call lucky you, (laughs) if you have that, right? Um, Additional testing might be needed if cholesterol levels or other cardiovascular disease risk factors, when I say risk factors, I mean like family history, high blood pressure, diabetes, obesity, even smokers, all of those would put you at a higher risk of cardiovascular disease. So if you have any of those risk factors, then you might need some additional testing. Other tests that doctors might recommend include a coronary calcium scan, which measures the amount of plaque buildup in the arteries around the heart, or a check of lipoprotein A, which is a form of LDL that can reveal more about cardiovascular risks. So lots of testing that can be done. Um, Again, I think you need to start with the very basic just go and get your cholesterol tested. If you have no idea what it is, you should go get it tested right away. And then again, once you start hitting the perimenopause and menopause time, it's probably something that you definitely want to keep an eye on. Now for women whose cholesterol rises to an unhealthy level during menopause, there are some lifestyle adjustments that are usually going to be the first recommendation. Because let's face it, we can't avoid aging. We don't want to avoid aging because if you avoid aging, it means you died, right? (laughs) Sadly. So we can't avoid aging. We can't avoid our genetics, but we can change our lifestyle to sort of counterbalance what might be happening. Now, diet alone can impact cholesterol by 20 to 30 milligrams per deciliter. Diet can have an impact, everyone, especially if your diet is not very good. Even when diet alone cannot get someone into a healthy range, let's face it, the cholesterol would likely be even more harmful, even higher, if you didn't eat well, if you were eating really poorly, or if you don't make that change. So you gotta just assess, like, If you're not eating healthy, just shifting that is going to bring your cholesterol down. So it's really important that you start making sure you realize that you do have control over some things. You might not have full control. Look at me, I eat super healthy and my cholesterol is still high. But imagine if I ate even worse, then my cholesterol would be even higher. So I'm still making an impact. Now, statins are the standard pharmaceutical treatment for people with high cholesterol, including those in menopause. They say that women are less likely to go on statins due to a combination of healthcare providers being less likely to recommend them and women being less likely to agree to take them. Now, I am not on a statin right now. I've never been told that I need to be on a statin. It might happen at some point. I really, 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 really do not want to go on a statin because I don't want to be on any medication, but I would always evaluate as needed. Here's the thing. As much as I am this proponent of not being on medication, I am also this proponent of living a really long life. And if I should potentially have a genetic cholesterol issue 
and that puts me at a higher risk for cardiovascular disease, then what are my odds of living a really long life? They're going to be less. And so if taking the statin is going to increase that chance, then I will do it if I have to. But I will do everything that I can first to not do that if possible, right? So there's also, there's, you know, statins can be used and they're used by many people who don't have any problems. Some people do have problems on statins. So again, it's just personal. And this is something that you should talk with your doctor about. Once you get that cholesterol reading back, if it is high, talk to your doctor about all options. But I'm gonna tell you this, if you're not eating healthy, if you're not exercising, if you have high blood pressure, if you are not taking care of stress in your life, those four things could be worked on and probably impact your overall cholesterol. And you should do all of those things before you rely on medication, like really rely on medication as that last thing that you can possibly do, all right? Very, very important. Another thing you wanna remember is that cholesterol goes up for women in menopause, yes, because our estrogen levels decrease, but also this is a time in a woman's life that can be very, very busy. Women's lives are busy. Their careers are still in full swing for many people in their 50s. They may be providing care still for their kids, how about they're providing care now for their parents, which is very stressful and really happening a lot to people my age right now. There's a lot of different kinds of pressures for a woman around this age, and that alone is going to impact her health. So that is often when a woman sort of stops exercising as much. She's grabbing food at fast food more because she's so busy and she has so much going on. She's not going to the doctor for that yearly check. She's not checking her cholesterol because she's so super busy, right? Like life happens and sometimes it gets that way. But that can also be the reason that the cholesterol went up. It might not just be because her estrogen levels dropped. So be really honest with yourself. If you're like, yeah, my cholesterol's up, but I'm in menopause, so it's menopause's fault. It's like, yeah, to some extent, but does that mean that you couldn't fix some of these, those four different things? Again, have an honest conversation at the very least with yourself, all right? So that's pretty much everything that I wanna talk about today. I want you to understand menopause is normal. It has some side effects we do not like. I particularly do not like the cholesterol one considering I already had high genetic cholesterol. Um, I'm still in a decent range apparently because nobody wants to put me on any statins yet. But again, this is a, a natural thing that is going to happen to our bodies. So the best thing that you could ever do Always, whether you're listening to this at age 25 or you're listening to this at age 75, the best thing that you can do to battle any of this aging is to take the best care of yourself possible. The best care possible. That means eat healthy as much as you can. Like 90% of the time, can you please cook your meals? like your grandma did back in the day, right? They used to cook so many of their meals. Like my grandma had a garden. She picked the berries from the yard that went into the pancakes. Like cook real food as much as you can. That's gonna be the number one thing to help you. Then move your body. 
Don't crush your body to the ground with exercise. Move your body with purpose. Do cardiovascular activity. Do strength training two to three times a week as you age because we're already losing that muscle mass, right? Fuel your body throughout the day. Don't intermittent fast, you guys, unless there's a real reason to do it because that's a whole topic in itself that I've talked about before. But one of the biggest things that I just read in this awesome book is that the reason they don't like intermittent fasting for people who are aging is because people who are aging are losing muscle and people who are intermittent fasting, they can't get enough protein in, in those small windows of eating time. So those people are losing even more muscle. So you might think you're losing weight and you probably are for a certain period of time, but how much of that weight is muscle? We can't afford to lose muscle, you guys. Not right now. We've got to be putting muscle on for our older years. So again, eat healthy, exercise with a purpose. Like I said, cardiovascular you need, you need strength training, you need mobility, you need flexibility, all of that. You need to work on your stress levels. You need to have a hobby so that you have something to live for. You need to have relationships and family, like all those things make for a great long life. So all I can tell you is I'm sorry if you're suffering with any menopause symptoms. Um, It is what it is. Do some of the things from last week's podcast. Take care of yourself as best as possible because all these little shifts will make you feel better Overall, and I will say it sounds to me like everyone I know who's, you know, post-menopause, once you're through it, you're through it. It's not going to be like that forever. All right, everyone. So that's it for today. Earn That Body Podcast, always here to bring you health, fitness, nutrition information you can put into play right away. For more information about Kim Eagle's online programs, go to earnthatbody.com. Or check out Earn That Body on all forms of social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube.